Welcome to The Kitchen Table, a show dedicated to helping you escape diet culture, gain trust with food, honor your body, and live a brighter life. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Kitchen Table. I am so glad you're here. I'm Alicia, your host, a non-diet registered dietitian, and today I have Wendy Lee White. She is... oh. She is so awesome. I'm so excited to have her on. She's a naturopathic doctor, a non-diet Hayes nutritionist, Hayes health at every size nutritionist, and an educator. And how fun to be both a naturopathic doctor and an intuitive eating focused nutritionist. How did you get to this place that you are right now, this masterpiece that you are? I know. And you know, it's the last thing that people expect from a naturopathic doctor is to have any sort of weight neutral non-diet approach. And really what headed, what made me head down this road was so many patients were coming into my office, so anxious, really at their wits end of, I can't eat anything anymore because they had been to a nutritionist or a naturopathic doctor in the past who put them on a therapeutic diet. Now I'm not against therapeutic diets, but when they were put on the therapeutic diet, a couple things were an issue. One was there wasn't any discussion about digestive tract healing that the therapeutic diet would be temporary because their bodies were amazing and they'd heal and then be less reactive. And two, the therapeutic diet was prescribed as like a rigid, you must do this or else scenario. Mm -hmm. And they didn't realize that, that they had any choice to be flexible. And I think that that Position really doesn't focus on the fact that we're amazingly designed, resilient beings. And so year after year, when people were coming into my office with this level of anxiety, I would love people to, to feel nourished and to feel free choosing by their foods, not to feel stressed out and restricted and have all of these external rules placed on them. Absolutely. And I know for myself and my history, and for so many of us listening, we know that anxiety really well um, through following, you know, a therapeutic diet, as you're mentioning, or fad diets, or just like leaving the doctor's office and they say, okay, you know, the blanket recommendation of weight loss, they print out that form from the eighties that says, okay, eat this, not that. Right. It's like, oh, not helpful. And what you said of like, we don't know that there's another way. There's a sense of like extreme, like loss that comes with that or helplessness that comes with that. And it seems like that's what you wanted to, you wanted to provide some hope for those people. Yes. Because I think that, um, when we're relying on the external rules that are quote, like I'm putting this in air quotes, supposed to work for us. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't seem to be working, we don't doubt the external experts. Often we doubt, oh, well, my body must not work right. Or, oh, well, I must not be trying hard enough or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry for the, uh, the light here. We've got sun in Portland. It <laughs> came out again. Look at that. <laughs> And so I think that um, 
you know, inherently it, it just feeds that inadequacy and the lack of confidence and um, the guilt and shame of, oh, well, I'm broken or I can't do it right. And, and we're all brilliant. We all know exactly what our bodies need. It takes practice to relearn how to listen. We knew how to listen when we were born. We knew how to listen when we were little. It's been layered over. And so we don't have to newly learn anything. We just have to remember and kind of uncover all that brilliance that we still have. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's just forgotten maybe. Yeah. It's like there's layers of conditioning from diet culture, mm-hmm. right? From our families through yeah. comments that other people have told us. We've, we've Absolutely. developed these, these stories through the mm-hmm. conditioning and that can separate us from that inner knowing, that inner yes. intuitive eater. So what you're saying is you were um, working as a naturopathic doctor and you were seeing people just with this chronic mm-hmm. anxiety in regards to how they were eating and they were finding this disconnect with their health, even though you were maybe prescribing some of these therapeutic diets. Mm-hmm. And then you disconnected from that and found yourself in this health at every size intuitive eating space. How did you make that yeah. leap? Gradually, honestly, um, I started teaching the psychology of eating at the National University for Natural Medicine. It's a graduate master's of nutrition program. And so in the psychology of eating, I took the approach of all of the factors that contribute to our food choice from environment, culture, inner programming, our gut bacteria. I mean, we explore everything during the term. And then I picked up a class, uh, Eating Disorders and Intuitive Eating. It's an elective. And so I had already begun shifting towards more of a non-diet, more of an internal focus. And then I just like exponentially went into it with my psychology of eating class and then taking up my elective. Did you Um, almost find like that, such like that ground breaking truth? Like after you were exposed to intuitive eating, you're like, I just need more of this. This is it. This is what I've been looking for. (laughs) Because I am an empath. Like I, I'm quite connected, which is why I was always labeled, you know, I was too sensitive or too this or too that growing up and in, in my early adult. And, and it, it resonates as truth with me. Oh, that's been my experience all along. And yet I was trying to follow the external experts and it, it was, it was inconsistent. And if I had listened to my own wisdom sooner boy, would I have been healthier earlier? (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah. And I, I think, um, I think once you know how well designed we are, and once you know that there is another way besides the mainstream way, it's, I I don't know if anyone could go back to the mainstream way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once you see diet culture, you can't unsee it. Once you've connected with your intuitive eater, you can't, you don't want to disconnect, right? Well, you don't want to, right. I mean, sure, so you, you could, you could, you know, work to ignore all your body's signals again, but, but like it works so well. It works it so well. It guides yeah. you so well. I so agree. 
And so talking about, you know, intuitive eating, what a lot of people think is, wow, this trusting in our bodies piece. Oh man. If I trusted in my body, I'm going to be really sick. I'm going to, you know, end up like, you know, my parents, my grandparents, you know, we have heart disease in the family. If I do intuitive eating and quote unquote, let myself go, I'll develop chronic disease. It's a comic, a comic, common misconception, mm-hmm. <laughs> common misconception with intuitive eating is that once we start it, we're just like letting ourselves be off the bandwagon and we're going to maybe develop chronic disease. Can you speak on that apprehension that some people have of starting intuitive eating because of this fear of poor health? Absolutely. I think when most people think about the intuitive eating, what often trips them up in the beginning is the idea that if they remove any of the rules, then like you said, they'll just, they'll just go crazy and they'll just eat all of these, I don't know, fill in the blank. I'm not even going to give examples, right? All of these fill in the blank foods that Fun quote foods. aren't good for them or their treats or they'll create disease. And often that is what the beginning looks like. Often after years or decades of restriction, when someone begins intuitive eating, often it does look like a food party where you're eating all of the things that you had labeled bad for all of those years. And that's when the body's wisdom kicks in and says, you know what? I'm really craving some roasted vegetables tonight. Or you know what? I really want a crisp, juicy apple right now. Mm -hmm. And until someone begins to really experience those inner I, I want in this moment, they don't truly believe that it's possible. And so, yes, if someone really struggled with this phase and stayed in that food party for another 50 years and ignored all of their body's signals, there's a chance that they could be more inflamed and develop more chronic disease. But in most cases when the body can self-regulate, I mean, there's always outliers where dysregulation happens, but in most cases, the body kicks in and has that wisdom and then begins to guide someone to make those choices that align with what the body needs. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea that we can't trust our bodies started so, so young that this is a this is a long process. You know, this can be months to early years. Because if you've been living so disconnected from your body, it may take a while for your body to begin to speak up again. It's mm-hmm. been like shut down for so mo- for so long. Um I think here is where I discuss with my patients, you know, the state of a nervous system and how you're more likely to be able to hear what your body's saying if you are not super stressed out, super disconnected, if you're finding time each day to be connected and a little more quiet. Mm-hmm. I love it. Taking some time to quiet, maybe remove yourself from all the external stimuli, all of the messages, all of the noise, and all of this anxiety that surrounds all of that to connect with ourselves. 
and to really listen. And if it's the first time that we're doing that in a really long time, we might not really know what that feels like. Absolutely. And that's what takes practice. That's where it's like, oh, if we have a guide or a mentor or a coach that can help us foster that connection with ourselves, that is the goal. I'm sure for you and I both, we don't work with clients for years. We don't hold like accountability programs that say, okay, every month check in with me to make sure that you're doing A, B, and C. It's not exactly like that. That's more of the conventional way. This is, let me teach you how to fish. Yeah. And when you can fish, you can fish for the rest of your life. Is that pretty much synonymous with your program as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's an important piece to address here in that when we do get quiet, if we haven't been quiet for years, when we do get quiet, when we do practice listening, information that we have suppressed from our past can come up as well as the internal guidance. And so I often recommend that my patients have a therapist or a counselor on board because one of my favorite books is The Body Keeps the Score, Russell Vanderkolk, because often it can be uncomfortable to sit with some past stuff that may or may not have been resolved. And I think... um, it's important to have all sorts of supports in this process, right? Not everybody is interested in, in doing this mindful work. Not everyone's interested in, in really addressing all of their, their past concerns and, and move forward. Oh, I think it's so much easier sometimes to suppress it though. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes it's so much easier to suppress it, keep going with our life yeah. and just kind of be on autopilot disconnect from ourselves yeah, and listen to the media, to listen to the doctor, to follow the food list. That sounds sometimes like there's so much more simplicity and just Mm -hmm. tell me what to do. And then to have the turbos turned around and said, no, sit with yourself for a moment, quiet everything down. It is almost a microcosm of, you know, our society right now Mm -hmm. being busy. We have to do less. I feel like you and I are maybe similar, like we're type A, you're, we're science Absolutely. nerds, right? <laughs> yeah. We like lists, we like structure, mm-hmm. but that didn't serve us. You know, it's no. kind of like, we need to turn the tables around, mm-hmm. drop down the walls yes. of the structure yes. and see what that looks like to reconnect mm-hmm. with ourselves. How, how do you kind of guide clients yeah. into kind of creating some calm in their internal experience and fostering this connection and body trust. How do you help clients do that? Baby steps. Yeah. And so we start with things like let's practice taking three to five deep belly breaths before each meal and before bed. I know, right? Like even hearing that it's like, Oh yeah, I could, I could use a deep breath. And so First of all, it, it works for two reasons. One is it's already attached to something that they're already doing, which is easier to create a new habit around an existing habit. Mm-hmm. And two, it's easy. It might take a while to learn. I have a video on my YouTube channel about what a, a belly breath is. Most of us breathe so shallowly in our upper chest and we breathe quickly and shallowly. But if we really take a nice deep breath, 
our ribs expand as our lungs expand, our diaphragm drops down and our belly pooches out because our organs have to go somewhere. So they can watch the YouTube video to Great. learn how to do a belly breath. And then they can do three to five belly breaths before eating and before bed. It's going to set them up for, first of all, better digestion, because we digest better when we're towards that rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And they'll also be able to pay attention to the signals from their body about how this food seems to work for them, how full they are, how they're digesting, and it helps them begin to pay attention. Sometimes starting with mindfulness around food is true triggering. And so another practice I'll have someone do is check in with their right knee. And I just pick right knee because a lot of people don't have a lot of emotional baggage around a knee. And so if they say like, well, I can't hear anything from my gut or like, I can't, I don't feel connected. I'll say, fine, check in with your right knee. How does it feel? Can you feel your jeans against your knee? Can you feel that you're bent or straight? Is there a sensation of warmth or cold? And so being able to check in, it can be fabulous if you can attach the breath to feeding because then Again, you're in the parasympathetic and you're more likely to digest and absorb and detoxify and eliminate. Mm -hmm. But if, if that's too triggering, then let's just start with another neutral body part and practice paying attention there and gradually like, okay, I can, I can find my right knee. I can find how it's doing. All right, let me check out my left shoulder. How's that doing? Mm -hmm. And it's just that neutral check-in that can help increase the confidence um, but you're right. Those of us who are list makers, so in our heads. And so as much as we can do to get into the body through movement, through breathing, through this like mindful check-in, the more we can be in our bodies, the more we can be guided by our bodies. Mm. Living life detached from our bodies mm. is no fun. We're not as productive as we think we are. We're basket cases of mm -hmm. worry and frustration, mm -hmm. and we yeah. react more than we respond. Yeah. And this is reflected in our food experience mm -hmm. when we're kind of chaotic with food, impulsive with food, and we're not sure why. Yeah. And so when you're saying like when we regulate our nervous system by going into you know, the parasympathetic from the sympathetic, going from that fight or flight state to a grounded state, we find ourselves more connected with the body and then connected with food. Yes. Yeah. Just, yes, go ahead. Because we are animals. We are part of nature, as is food. And so often we, we can feel that disconnect because we forget we're animals. We forget that we're part of nature. We consider ourselves kind of separate from nature because we live in houses with electricity and things that go flush in the night. But when we remember that we're animals, yeah. then it kind of can make more sense of, oh, it makes total sense that I was craving carbohydrates when my body hadn't had enough to eat. And it finally had a chance in the evening. Of course, it would make sense from an animal physiology perspective that I would want the quickest source of energy 
which would be carbohydrate. You know, when we start looking at it from the, from the animal perspective, everything makes perfect sense. I mean, of course, when we're super hungry, we just mm-hmm. eat without thinking about eating. I mean, we're just we're eating, we're right? It's survival totally mode. Like impulsive mammalian yeah. response to food and we beat ourselves up over that. I know. We get so mad at ourselves. We feel that guilt. We feel the shame when really sometimes we can relieve that if we say, oh my gosh, this was a very, well, animal-like response and I'm right. an animal yeah. myself. Yeah. And you know, um, guilt allows us to reflect and say, oh, what can I do differently next time? Which I think is a more, a healthier approach than the shame piece. The shame is I'm bad. There's no chance for a do-over. There's no chance for learning or growth. It's just a embodiment of I'm bad because I did that. The guilt is like, oh, you know what? I'm not feeling great because I did that, but let me understand why I did it. Let me see if I can, what would I do differently next time? Like it just gives us that opportunity to self-reflect to learn from our actions, to really understand, oh, you know what? I did skip lunch. That totally makes sense why I would be ravenous choosing whatever was quickest and easiest. Right. You know, if we allow ourselves to, to take the time for that reflection. Absolutely. It seems like shame is like a full body mm-hmm. response. And it's usually yeah. followed by this kind of sulking, detaching mm-hmm. of the body with just shame, kind of that hypo aroused, detaching yeah. from the experience response. And it can be a spiral. In the spiral. Yeah. 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 How can we crawl ourselves out of that? Like with the clients that you work with that really are suffering with having this poor relationship with food and mm-hmm. they're feeling these feelings that are just weighing them down. And maybe they're feeling them after meeting with doctors, mm-hmm. after they're, you know, trying on various diets. It's you know, promoted by so many aspects of our society, this weight loss component. And I feel like we're all holding on to these rocks that we just can't (laughs) seem to let go of. It's like, oh, I just want to drop the rocks. How do I, how can I find the, the freedom and the connection that I'm looking for, you know? Yeah. So this is the fun of being a naturopathic doctor and looking at all the entirety of a body. And so if someone's feeling really triggered with their food relationship, often the first step is to leave the like table, table, the food, food relationship and say, okay, wait, let's look at all other aspects of your life that might be inter uh, relating with your food relationship. So that seemed complicated, but let's look at sleep. We know that a lot like ghrelin is a hormone that regulates hunger and satiety. It's regulated when you're sleeping. So if someone doesn't sleep enough or doesn't sleep well enough, because there's quantity and quality, then they can be contributing to their like dysfunctional or overeating or that feeling of out of control the next day. And it's not about the food. It's about their sleep. And so Sometimes if someone's feeling really triggered by all the food, I say, you know what? Like that's not the only contributor to your health. Let's look at your sleep, your relationships, your nervous system status, your movement patterns, your connection with others, your connection with something greater, whether that's religion or nature or humanity. 
we look at all of the other contributors to health. Absolutely. Water intake, stress level. Yes. And that way, they're more set up to be balanced in their hormones, in their blood sugar, just by their lifestyle choices. Yeah. So that when we go back to revisit the food, it's way less triggery because they're more foundationally stable in their lives. Absolutely. I mean, when we're working 20 hours a day, we're low on sleep and we're trying to decide whether we should have, you know, the broccoli or the cabbage. It's like, right. we're missing the boat completely. We have to find balance in other ways in life before we can think of that approach to food. I think that's something that's missing in the clinical sphere that you and I have been to, right? It's like doctor's visits are quick. We get 10 minutes in there. You know, some of us due to weight stigma and fat phobia, we might just get given the weight loss recommendation Mm -hmm. without uncovering any of these lifestyle aspects. Absolutely. It can be really detrimental for an individual. Yeah. And I think on one hand, I do believe that food is powerful. And on the other hand, I, I don't think it should have the overemphasis that it often has in our culture, because that creates the anxiety and the pressure and the expectation. So when we can look at the whole piece of, you know, the whole pie where food is just this little sliver, the rest of the pie is all the other things that can help someone feel capable, resilient, balanced, and having greater health. Then food becomes less charged and just one tool that we can explore. You've said several times on the show that our bodies are amazing. And when you're talking about all of these other aspects of health beyond food, food included, but also beyond food, there's like some of this like trusting that, you know, like if we focus on health in this bigger, greater way, if we get out of the weeds of the food and body stuff, the anxieties, the stories, the conditioning, and we look above that Mm -hmm. and look at our greater, you know, if we broaden our view of health, we can rely on our bodies to do the work. Can you explain that a little bit more about distrust with our bodies and building trust with our bodies? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, um, so I'm going to bring in the adverse childhood events study here and say that, um, so for those of you who are unaware, the ACEs study, the adverse childhood events study really looked at um, dysfunctional things that can happen in a childhood. And they followed these people for decades and tracked the likelihood that they developed chronic disease. And with um, a certain number of these 10 adverse childhood events, like a a violent family or a a divorce or um, incarceration of a parent or, you know, those types of things, different abuses, when they linked them their presence to these chronic diseases, it really tells us that there are so many more factors to be exploring as far as health goes. And if someone wants to stay disconnected from that trauma, it's totally their prerogative. It's totally their their choice to to make that decision for those people who would like to look at their past traumas and their childhood experiences and work through them with a therapist or a counselor or an energy medicine practitioner that allows more comfort 
to be connected with our own bodies. You know, when people talk about meditation and mindfulness, it's often in a way that that seems so positive and so happy. And it can be, but we also have to acknowledge the reality that often when you meditate or when you sit quietly, things arise. Things from the past, discomfort, experiences. And so not everyone wants to make the connection between the mental emotional past and the physical present. Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants to make that connection. And so not everyone should work with me. Not everyone needs to. Um, <laughs> my mom had adverse childhood events. She began her chronic disease life at age 50. And the last 21 years of her life were filled with disordered eating, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, progressing over 21 years. And she believed, I add incorrectly, but that's an arrogance for me to assume that I know. She believed that the past was in the past and it didn't have any effect on her in the present. With my training, with my experience, I believe that I know differently, but she wasn't interested in addressing the discomfort. She wasn't interested in making decisions for herself. She loved her MD. We called him Dr. McDreamy because she just thought he was the best thing ever. And as I started getting into the naturopathic world and would make suggestions, at one point there was a time when she said, you're confusing me. I just want to listen to my doctor. I had to back off because it was her process, not mine. And so I use my mom as an example of, I didn't love her any less because of her choices. But that experience is very real for many people. Yeah. It's, it can be uncomfortable for our nervous system to, to adjust, to uncover, to explore. And, and not everyone wants to. And, and so that can prevent someone from being able to tune in. Because if they are feeling blocked, like, oh, I can't go there it may be difficult for their body to learn, oh, well, where can we go then? And so that, you know, their whole being is, is fragmented at that point. There's like a lack of safety or security yes. and yes. kind of a barrier between the self and discovering that trust. And I think that is so important. We talk about, as you're saying, like, you know, body trust and body positivity. You're right. Like there is like this optimistic approach to all of this, but what you're saying yes. is that like, no, especially in this experience, thanks for sharing about your mom. It's like, there can be things that prevent us from connecting with ourselves in that way. And then when we do lose that connection, it can 
maybe even later in life show up as an inability to have that deeper knowing mm-hmm. that intuition. Yeah. That is the authority. Think, mm-hmm. And it, it is important um, for us to realize that, you know, quote, getting healthy isn't, isn't a moral imperative. It isn't yeah. something that everybody has to do. And, you know, getting healthy, I put in quotes because everybody can define it a little differently. But, you know, again, not everyone wants to or has to optimize every aspect of their life to be as healthy as possible. Like, we're not machines, we're humans. So I often say to patients, I'm happy if I see you being happy with getting healthier day by day as a process. We forget about happiness. Right. We forget about happiness. I don't want someone to be like struggling and mucking through the gunk every day to be healthier. Like that defeats the purpose. Yeah. If someone has to be all stressed out in order to quote, live healthy, then they're not living healthy. Mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical all play a role. It has to be that way. Or else we we can't hate ourselves healthier. We can't hate the process of getting healthy. And you're right. It's like, there's this moral virtue, you know, associated with health. If we just dropped that and thought about our happiness, Mm -hmm. then I think we can experience health in a different way. Agreed. Do you have any words of encouragement for a woman right now who's, who's really struggling in finding happiness in their health journey or is really struggling feeling connected to themselves or maybe has you know some past trauma that's unresolved that's maybe blocking them from connecting with themselves? Do you have a starting point for, for anybody in that position right now for them to get the help that they need? Yes. So finding a guide, finding to start just one person, whether it's a health at every size or intuitive eating practitioner, whether it's more of a vitalist naturopathic doctor, whether it's a therapist or a counselor, find one person to begin getting feedback from. And then just have the expectation of baby steps. We evolved here for however long we've been on this planet. We we set ourselves up for frustration and failure when we expect that, well, I'm just going to resolve this by next week. Like that's just not realistic. And it, it makes us feel, again, it feeds that like, I'm not good enough. I didn't, I couldn't do it. No, like baby steps. Yeah. The slower we go, the more likely that our changes are becoming long-term habits. And If some, you know, I I use this example a lot because, you know, you always hear that, well, I can't lose these last 10 pounds or I can't skip a day at the gym. Otherwise my weight goes up or, you know, some of those like really extreme things. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then you know what, if it takes that much effort, why are you fighting the weight your body seems to have accumulated, you know, balanced out at? Maybe that's where your body is meant to be. Maybe that's where your point of health is. And your 10 pounds less is only your mental construct of what health might be. So if someone feels that they have to put in so much effort to control their diet, to exercise, to you know, do whatever, then 
that's not their homeostatic balance. That's not the place where their body wants to hang out. The place the body wants to hang out is when you do many things that are health promoting, your body kind of hangs there. That's when you know you found your balance. And you almost enjoy doing those things because they make the body feel well. Absolutely. And that's what builds the trust. Oh, when I drink more water, I feel well. I'm going to drink more water today. Yes. Yes. When I start my day by walking outside with my dog, I have a better day. It's not that, oh, I have to start my day by walking. Like that's so stressful. Totally. I know that I'll feel better. I enjoy it. It's part of my routine. Ah. It's not a regimen. It's not like this black and white thing. Could I share one of those that I just had? Yeah, please. Before going to bed, and you've heard this a million times, put your phone away before going to bed. My husband and I got in this nasty habit of phones before bed. Mm -hmm. I did this experiment with myself. Okay, tonight, we're going to actually talk to each other before bed. Okay. Like I'm going to put the baby to bed. We're going to talk to each other. <laughs> and it's something that we did when we originally got married and sure. you know, whatever, then we didn't, but wow, better sleep happened. I could hear it over and over again from wherever I've heard it, right? Like put your phone down the blue light before bed, whatever yeah. disregard, but you just play this little experiment with yourself. I got the body feedback of better sleep. And I'm like, Oh, Phones are staying in the kitchen. Yes. We need because, an alarm clock. Yes. Because <laughs> once you experience it, you know it to be true for yourself. Exactly. You don't need someone convincing you. And so I often say, you need to rely on my faith to give it a try. Once you give it a try, and whatever it is, once you give it a try and you learn for yourself that you feel a difference, that's what's going to carry you. But in the beginning, you have to use my faith in order per- to persuade you to give it a try. Or almost like you have to put your trust in me as your guide, yes. as your facilitator. Yes. To know that this leap of faith mm-hmm. is okay and that it's mm-hmm. safe. And then once you feel it in your body and you know it to be true, you'll do the thing again. And you are then the supreme authority over that mm-hmm. action because you've had the experience. Yes. So earlier well, in the show, yes. you've said like, okay, like, there's like the sense of internal knowing validation. And when mm-hmm. we find that we rid the external, we know that the external, we, we can, we can almost filter it through our own lens and mm-hmm. discover it to be true for ourselves. Yeah. Is this almost like a microcosm of that in a larger sense, kind of recognizing the external, but finding that discovery of the internal yes. and self-validating? Yes. Yes. And anytime I hand over a treatment plan, That's really like, based on my education, based on my experience, here's your starting spot. And you'll know you got to what really works for you based on your experience. It's not, it's not my knowledge that's going to fine tune it. It's going to be based on each, everyone's individual experience to validate, oh, I did find the guidelines for eating that make me feel my best. I did find my sleep habits and sleep hygiene that gives me the best quality. Again, like I can help provide starting spots based on education and experience, but it's, it's the response that's going to then fine tune and tweak and validate or invalidate our starting spot. How cool to hear that from a doctor, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, I have a starting point, but you let your body lead. You navigate your experience and we'll work through this together. But your truth 
is your truth. You are the cool doctor. You are like, <laughs> you. <laughs> you're the doctor everyone wants to work with. <laughs> and, and it is, it's, it's just such a different approach. Yeah. Such a different approach. And I really appreciate that approach. I wish there were more of you in your clinical, in the clinical setting, because I think that's what makes us feel self-empowered in our health mm-hmm. journeys. And I think that's really Agreed. important to make our practices sustainable and to really embody health, whatever that picture mm-hmm. of health looks like for us. And like we said, not hating the process of getting there, but actually finding that health is bringing more joy and more happiness to our life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for all of your sharing today. Thank you very much. This was fabulous. Where can everyone find you? Everyone listening is like, we want more of Wendy Lee. We want more (laughs) of Wendy Lee. Where can we find her? Can you just share where they can potentially work with you or find you on social media or beyond? Absolutely. So the best place to start is my website, which is drwendyleewhite.com. And Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H. And then from there, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Facebook. Um, But my website is the perfect place to start. I have resources listed. I have a little freebie that will pop up if you're interested. And um, I, I like to provide information. And of course, there's information on how to work with me, but there's an abundance of information that can be had um, without a lot of financial commitment to start. And I think that's important. I think that's really fun and interesting. Yes. Go check out her free resources. Go check out and sign up for her freebies um, and connect with Wendy either from her website or on social media. Wendy Lee, thank you so much for being here. Will you come back to the kitchen table at some point? We'd love to have you on again. I will, Alicia. That'd be fabulous. You just let me know when. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Take out your phones right now. And if you gained anything from this episode, don't hesitate, screenshot and share this with a friend or family member. So important to get this intuitive eating, health at every size, larger, bigger, nourishing picture of health on the map. So thank you for that. Also, while you have your phone out, hit subscribe. When you subscribe to the show, oh, it helps me get on the map despite all of the other diety kind of podcasts out there. We get intuitive eating on the map. So thank you for that. And also don't hesitate. If you found anything really interesting on the show, you can find me at aliciabrown.rdn on Instagram. I would love to connect there. Wendy Lee, thank you so much for being here. Everyone, thank you for listening. And I'll see you back on the show on Monday.